Roy Hi, this is Roy Shoman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or soon the other way around that celebrates the completion, the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise and purpose of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, <laughs> excuse me. The last few weeks, whoops. Um, the last few weeks, uh, um, we have been, uh, I, I have been reading from this absolutely wonderful book, Abandonment to Divine Providence, by Father Jean Pierre de Cossade. Every week, I say to myself, "Well, this is going to be the last, <laughs> the last show on this book," but um, I have come pretty close to the end, and I want to spend another. Another hour, excuse me, <coughs> um, just wrapping it up because, in fact, in fact, our job is very simple and um, I, the problem of life on earth is quite simple and the solution is quite simple. Um, however, when we're trapped down here in our bodies of clay, it doesn't seem so simple. And the simplicity rests in the fact that um, between birth and death, we focus on our life between birth and death, and we tend to fall under the illusion that that's all there is. Whereas, in fact, from the moment we're created, we're created for all eternity. We're, in fact, created to live for all eternity in a state of unimaginable intimacy with God and bliss. God created us for that eternity. And in order to reach that eternity, he has arranged our life on earth. But while we're in this life on earth, we're kind of trapped in this movie that we think is everything. So while God arranges things that he knows is best for us for our eternity, which may cause suffering, which may seem as disasters, which might be very unpleasant for us, he knows what he's doing because he has his eyes on our eternal salvation and our eternal beatitude with him. Whereas we are trapped in this movie, so to speak, or we're trapped in this period between birth and death, and all we see is its short-term effect on us, our suffering, our unhappiness, our being deprived of something we enjoyed or something we hoped for, and so forth. So our perspective ends up being very, very different from God's perspective, so to speak. However, however everything that happens is the most perfect thing that can happen from God's perspective, which doesn't mean that it feels like it's the most perfect thing that can happen from our perspective. This is uh, very evident, of course, in, in the prayer that I hope most of us say every day, the Hail Holy Queen. Um, um, you know, our life, our sweetness, and our hope um, in, this, in this valley of tears, that we are in this valley of tears because we are trapped in the perspective of what we're experiencing at the moment rather than the long-term good, as a matter of fact, the eternal good that it's designed to bring about. So that is basically what this abandonment to divine providence is all about. It's about um, reminding us, so to speak, that as we go through life, if we go through life with the worldly perspective, we are going to be continually uh, disappointed and disgruntled and maybe even risk losing our faith in God or thinking that God isn't really good because he's not nice and he's not giving us what we want and so forth, which is terribly destructive. 
Whereas if we can lift ourselves into this kind of um, divine perspective or God's perspective, that leaves us free to actually rejoice in everything that happens to us because it's what God has arranged for us, so it must be the best possible thing. And it um, enables us to basically worship God in all circumstances without undermining our love of God or our faith in God. So that's, that's why this practice is actually so central to uh, development, to, to growth in holiness, as well as to the maintenance of an inner peace throughout life. I have in front of me a, a picture of St. Maximilian Kolbe, who is, you know, this perfect poster child for this, because he could accept with total peace and equanimity, you know, with a total even, even calm spirit, uh, pretty much the worst suffering that man was able to design for his fellow man, which was, you know, the, the um, agony and finally death in a, in a, you know, death camp of Auschwitz. Uh, and not only was the death camp, <laughs> I mean, the death camp was bad enough, but at the end of his time as an inmate at Auschwitz, he was, of course, sentenced to a particular uh, torture to death, to the starvation bunker. And all of this, all of this did not, did not um, get his eyes off of God, so to speak. None of this troubled his heart. As a matter of fact, he went out, he died, he was the last in the starvation bunker to a starvation cell is what it amounts to, uh, to die of uh, thirst. And um, he spent the dying days in that starvation bunker when everyone was in, of course, horrible agony, singing songs of praise to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So that's what we're striving for, and that's why I'm spending so much time with Abandonment to Divine Providence. So let me go right back to the book. Again, Abandonment to Divine Providence by Father Jean-Pierre de Cossade. And I am reading from the third book, book third. The paternal care with which God surrounds souls wholly abandoned to him. Sacrifice, says the prophet, a sacrifice of justice and hope in the Lord. That is to say that the grand and solid foundation of the spiritual life is to give oneself to God, to be the subject of his good pleasure in all things, interiorly as well as exteriorly, and to so utterly forget self that we regard it as a thing sold and delivered to which we no longer have any right, so that our joy consists wholly in the good pleasure of God and his honor and glory are our sole contentment. Once this foundation has been laid, the soul has but to pass her life rejoicing that God is God, abandoning herself so completely to his good pleasure that she is equally content to do one thing as another, according as this good pleasure directs, never even pausing to reflect upon the disposition, disposition which is made of her by the will of God. Let me interrupt for a moment. Let's imagine, let's imagine that, um, you know, that our car breaks down on a, on a rainy night and we have to slog through a couple of miles of mud, you know, to get to a payphone to call the tow truck or whatever. And, you know, we're kind of bemoaning our fate I don't want to say we're cursing, but we're, we're kind of, um, in some sense, you know, bemoaning our bad luck 
feeling abandoned, feeling annoyed and frustrated and probably angry. And um, so that's the normal picture, right? Now imagine that God appeared, like God appeared to St. Paul, right, on the road to Damascus. Imagine that God appeared in a cloud of glory above us and said to us, O Sam or O Janice or whatever your name is, if you only knew how much this meant to me, what you're doing, if you only knew how many souls you're saving, if you only knew what joy you're giving to my heart, if you only knew how you're furnishing your mansion in heaven by undergoing this trial that I'm sending you, you would, you would be ecstatic with joy, right? Now, if that happened to us, we would be ecstatic with joy, right? And then, of course, the vision disappears or, or you know, the, the cloud disappears and we're back on the dark night. But our soul would be rejoicing, right? We would be singing with joy. The truth is, that is the case, the only thing that isn't the case is that we don't see, you know, we don't, God does not appear to us and say that. But if he sends us that, that is the truth of the situation. So if only we could kind of transport ourselves into that imagination that at every moment when a trial comes, God is in some sense thanking us, is, is praising us for accepting it, is expressing his gratitude for our willingness to accept it, then that would be our response. Anyway, back to de Cossade. Self-abandonment. This, then, is the grand duty which remains to be fulfilled after one has faithfully acquitted himself of all the obligations of his state. The perfection with which this grand duty is accomplished is the measure of one's sanctity. A holy soul is a soul who, with the aid of grace, freely abandons herself to the divine will. All that follows is pure self-abandonment is the work of God and not of man. God asks nothing more of this soul than to blindly receive all that he sends in a spirit of submission and universal indifference to the instruments of his will. The rest he determines and chooses according to his designs for the soul as an architect arranges and selects his materials according to the edifice he would construct. I'll interrupt again. Obviously, you know, God is sculpting us for heaven, you know, sanding us, carving us, which means, of course, sanding away a lot of bumps and carving a lot of, you know, the wrong material off and so forth. In our subjective experience, of course, that is tremendously unpleasant and uncomfortable, but that's what's being done. And in fact, that chisel or that sandpaper or whatever, that is the circumstances that he's sending us. That is the events in our life. That is the only tool he has, so to speak, with which to carve us. By the way, I neglected to mention at the beginning of the show, this is a live call-in show. The number here is 866-333-6279. And if you wish to call in, uh, do so. And uh, I will interrupt the reading to take your questions or, or comments or whatever. However, in the meantime, continuing with the reading. In all things, therefore, we must love God and his order. We must love it as it is presented to us without desiring more. It is for God, not for us, to determine the objects of our submission 
and what he sends is best for the soul. What a grand epitome of spirituality is this maxim of pure and absolute self-abandonment to the will of God. Self-abandonment, that continual forgetfulness of self which leaves the soul free to eternally love and obey God, untroubled by those fears, reflections, regrets, and anxieties which the care of one's own perfection and salvation gives. Since God offers to take upon himself the care of our affairs, let us once and for all abandon them to his infinite wisdom, that we may never more be occupied with anything but him and his interests. Now, let me point out something a little bit particular in this paragraph, which is when we um, resent the divine will, let's say, when we look at events which happen to us and complain about them, um, the fleshly man, let's say, step, you know, stage one would be to complain about them because they interfere with our pleasure or our comfort um, or, our, you know, our sensory satisfaction. You know, it's, it's cold and rainy when we wanted a sunny, warm day or, or the food is, is um, you know, tasteless and dry instead of being the delicious meal we expected or whatever. Um, we may be disappointed and annoyed by providence because of our fleshly response to it. But the author of this book has, has more faith in us than that. And he's pointing out that we could be disappointed and annoyed by divine providence because of what we think our spiritual good is, what we think, where we think our spiritual advancement lies. For instance, imagine a young man who, you know, dreams of being a priest and wants to be a priest and looks forward to being a priest, you know, and flunks out of seminary or something or doesn't get admitted or, or has some kind of physical impairment which makes him be rejected and he can't be a priest. So here he's disappointed not because of being deprived of some sensory pleasure, but because he thinks God is depriving him in some sense, providence is depriving him of his ultimate spiritual fulfillment. Think how ridiculous that is, right? But it happens all the time. How often are we in, in church and we want to enter into prayer and we're annoyed by somebody rattling a rosary noisily behind us or kids screaming or whatever? which really does take us away from uh, what we thought we were coming there for, which was a certain, a certain um, intimacy with God, let's say. But if we remember that God is behind that circumstance and God has our spiritual good you know, more in mind than we have our own spiritual good in mind, then once again we see how ridiculous it is to, as uh, St. Paul said, kick against the goad. Uh, in, in the gold, you know, that's the prod that prods cattles along. And, of course, when it sticks in their rear end, you know, they, they don't like the feeling of it and they might kick it. But that just makes more trouble for them. And that prod in our rear end, so to speak, that's trying to advance us on the path of perfection, that's the circumstances in our life that God is sending us. Back to the text. Arise then, my soul. Let us walk with uplifted head above all that is passing about us and within us, ever content with God, content with what he does with us, 
and with what he gives us to do. Let us beware of imprudently falling a prey to those numerous disquieting reflections which, like so many tangled labyrinths, entrap the mind into useless, endless wanderings. Let us avoid the snare of self-love by springing over it, and not by following its interminable windings. You know what he's what this is talking about. This is talking about the if only, if only this had happened, you know, then everything would be better. Or if only that had happened, then I would be happy. Or if only this had happened, you know, then I would be that much uh, closer to God or holier or whatever. Um, let us be content with what God does with us and what he gives us to do and what he sends us rather than following pre falling prey to those numerous disquieting reflections that's the if only what if and so forth which like so many tangled labyrinths entrap the mind into useless endless wanderings how many of us do that right all the time rather than being entrapped into sort of second guessing what god has sent us by the way of providence and rather than trying to untangle it, which is another trap, right? Like, oh, if only I could understand why this was better for me than that or whatever. You know, that's just going to get endlessly entangled in this maze. Maze, As the author says, let us avoid the snare of self-love by jumping over it and not by following its interminable windings. In other words, silencing it, ignoring it, and simply skipping that whole process by simply placing ourselves in God's hand in basically thankful worship that he has arranged everything and he knows what's best. Onward, my soul, through weariness, sickness, dryness, infirmities of temper, weakness of mind, snares of the devil and of men, their suspicions, jealousies, evil thoughts, and prejudices. Let us soar like the eagle above all these clouds, our eyes fixed upon the sun of justice and its rays which are our obligations. Doubtless we may feel these trials. It does not depend upon us to be insensible to them. But let us remember that our life is not a life of sentiment. Let us live in this superior part of the soul where God and his will work out for us in ever uniform, equable, immutable eternity in this holy spiritual dwelling where the uncreated, the ineffable, the infinite, holds the soul immeasurably separated from all shadows and created atoms, reigns perpetual calm, even though the senses be the prey of tempests. We have learned to rise above the senses, their restlessness, their disquiet, their comings and goings, and their hundred transformations disturb us no more than the clouds which darken the sky for a moment and disappear. We know that in the region of the senses all things are like the wind, without sequence or, or order, in continual vicissitude. God's will forms the eternal charm of the heart in the state of faith, just as in the state of glory it shall constitute its true happiness, and this glorious state of the heart will influence the whole material being at present, a tear to terrors, and temptations. Let me um, talk about this a little bit. Um, this is a very beautiful picture. 
that de Cossade is painting here and what he's basically, one of the things he's saying is that we can think of our soul as operating on multiple levels at once. And there will be this lower level, which will be prey to anxiety, disappointment, a suffering, in fact, um, sufferings of all kinds, and continual turmoil and disquiet. But we also have, or should, should strive to develop, a kind of a higher part of the soul, which, at least in the intellect, knows about divine providence and knows about our eternal reward and knows about our destiny in heaven and knows about the omnipotence and omnipresence and unspeakable goodness of God and love for us. And therefore, let's kind of try to, you know, move from the ground floor to the upper floor, so to speak. And when we are in turmoil and in trial, it's not that, it's not that that suffering will go away but let's try not to live there. Let's try to remind ourselves that although the suffering is real, the it's in the context of being permitted by God for our own good. Let us soar like an eagle above all these clouds, our eyes fixed upon the sun of justice and its rays which are our obligations. Doubtless, we may feel these trials. It does not depend upon us to be insensible to them. In other words, we will feel the trials, and we're not being asked not to feel them or not to, in that sense, suffer from them. What we're being asked to do is, as he says, remember that our life is not a life of feelings, of sentiment. Let us live in this superior part of the soul, where God and his will work out for us in ever-uniform, equable, immutable eternity. So um, he's, he is actually kind of re recommending a funny kind of uh, very fruitful schizophrenia, you can say, where we simultaneously acknowledge what we're suffering in the moment, but we basically do not acknowledge its fundamental importance or its permanence and we see it as being the best possible thing because it is God is in charge basically and despite the fact that God is in charge and he loves us this is what he's sending us and therefore it must be the best possible thing God's will forms the eternal charm of the heart in the state of faith just as in the state of glory it shall constitute its true happiness. And this glorious state of the heart will influence the whole material being at present, uh, excuse me, will influence the whole material being at present a prey to terrors and temptations. Under these appearances, however terrible they may be, the action of God, giving to the material being a facility wholly divine, will cause it to shine like the sun, for the faculties of the sensitive soul and those of the body are prepared here below like gold, iron, flax, and stone. And like these different substances, they will attain the purity and splendor of their form only after they have passed through many processes and suffered loss and destruction. All that we endure here below at the hand of God is intended as a preparation for our future state. All that we endure here below at the hand of God 
is intended as a preparation for our future state. I don't see how anyone can contradict that statement. I don't see any possible holes in that statement. Assuming that one believes in God and one believes in his, you know, creating everything that is and sustaining everything that is and loving us infinitely and dying on the cross for us, how could we conclude anything other than that everything we endure here below at the hand of God is intended as a preparation for our future state? The faithful soul who knows the secret of God's ways dwells in perfect peace, and all that transpires within her, so far from alarming, only reassures her. Intimately convinced that it is God who guides her, she accepts everything as a grace and lives wholly forgetful of self, the object upon which God labors, that she may think only of the work committed to her care. Her love unceasingly animates the courage which enables her to faithfully and carefully fulfill her obligations. Accept the sins of a self-abandoned soul which are light, and even converted to her good by the divine will, there is nothing distinctly manifest in her but the action of grace. And this action is distinctly manifest in all those painful or consoling impressions by means of which the divine will unceasingly works the soul's good. I use the term distinctly manifest, for of all that transpires within the soul, these impressions are what it best distinguishes. To find God under all these appearances is the great art of faith. To make everything a means of uniting oneself with God is the exercise of faith. That's the end of that chapter. I will be going on to the next chapter. Um, uh, let me see if there are any... I don't see any callers. Um, but this, I cannot read this paragraph without thinking of the Annunciation and the Blessed Virgin Mary's fiat, let it be done to me according to thy word. We all know, I hope we all know, that the Blessed Virgin Mary is the greatest saint who ever lived. She's the Queen of Heaven, right? Um, that she is the soul of all human souls um, ever created by the hand of God. She is the human soul, the most pleasing to God. She's the most blessed, not only of all women, but she's the most blessed of all of mankind. And what's that mean? It means, among other things, that her fiat, let it be done to me according to the word of God, according to the will of God, was the most complete in human history. In other words, what I'm saying I don't know how to put it, has to be understood a little bit metaphorically, not entirely literally, but one could imagine that all it would take to be as holy as the Blessed Virgin Mary would be to be able to say as completely as she said, let it be done to me according to thy will. In other words, if we could abandon our self-will as entirely and lovingly into the hands of divine providence as the Blessed Virgin Mary did, perhaps one could argue that in a way we would be as holy as her. That her fiat, let it be done to me according to thy word, was the foundation, so to speak, 
of her sanctity, of her holiness. Now, um, I don't want to be thrown off the station for being a heretic. I know there's more to the story than that. I certainly know about the Immaculate Conception and the Blessed Virgin Mary was conceived without sin and that her unique holiness was, um, you know, had, had, is a mystery that encompasses so much more than we'll ever know while on earth. And this is a, a kind of a very slight sliver, fragmentary, you know, glance at one aspect of it. So I, I don't want to be taken too literally. But it's, it's wonderful to think about the relationship between the completeness of her fiat and the totality of her holiness. And we are not about to be born without original sin. We are not about to be um, given the unique graces that were given to the Blessed Virgin Mary. The only thing that we can contribute to our holiness, actually, is to focus on that one aspect of her holiness, that fiat, and try to imitate that fiat and get as close to that fiat as possible. Let it be done to me according to thy word. And um, she said that, of course. Um, of course, she said that as the preamble to the most glorious event that ever happened to any human being in some sense, which was God being conceived in her womb. But she also said that as the preamble to a life that was filled with uh, suffering that we'll never be able to imagine also. And her fiat, her let it be done to me according to thy word, was as complete an acceptance of the suffering, of the sword that pierced her heart, right, and at the presentation, as it was, um, you know, directed towards the wonderful things that would happen to her. It was absolutely a blanket fiat without even a distinction between, in some sense, the wonderfully glorious, pleasant things that were going to happen to her and the untold suffering that was going to happen to her. Which category it was in was in some sense irrelevant to her because it was God's word, it was God's will, it was what he wanted, and that's all that counted. So, um, okay, well, we seem to have a caller. Um, our, our, I see your name on the call board, Katie. Where are you calling from? Hi, Mary. How you doing? I'm calling from the Bronx. Hi. Uh, did you have a comment or a question? I have to pretend to know. Who, uh, to, I have to pretend not to know who you are. So, do you have a comment or a question? Okay. okay well, first of all, I want to tell you that I've been following you, um, gosh, for about seven years now after my uh, experience with God, and I love your show. And I'm also calling to tell you on behalf of many, many, many viewers, um, thank you. They're all prodding me to call some calling. Okay, well, thank and you, but it. I'm I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, no. Do you, do you <laughs> have like a, a three or four minute witness testimony to share with us? Oh, Lord. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. You want me to start? I want you to start, but I mean, I, I can't use the whole show for it. But but yeah, I, I, I'd love to hear it. And I think our listeners would love to hear it. And, you know, we're talking about the point of the show is 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 the reality and basically the reality of true reality, which is, of course, God and the spiritual world in our eternity. 
And there's nothing like, you know, a miraculous witness testimony to, to bring that home. Yeah, it's pretty miraculous. Um, okay, I'll try to do this in four minutes. It takes days. Um, so I grew up Creole Catholic, had a very dysfunctional family. Um, a lot of abuse in all areas. Um, I always latched on to God. Well, I always knew he was right there. But I was wild. And um, I grabbed him and I took him everywhere with me. Um, I was homeless. I did drugs, alcohol. I was, uh, I left home at 15 uh, due to a crazy household. But I always took him with me. And uh, I had found out later my mom when I was born, had uh, consecrated me to the Blessed Mother. So she told me that when I was really little. So I felt, well, if she did that, then I'd be okay. And um, so, let me see. So I had heart failure, and uh, I was quite mad when I woke up because I didn't have an experience. I didn't go, I didn't die, I didn't go to light, Jesus didn't talk to me, all that stuff. So I was really mad, and uh, I was sitting there one day going in directions I shouldn't have gone in. I was reading stuff I shouldn't have um, read, and really, the world stopped. I, I went blank, black actually, and I had a vision, and it wasn't of the, the three persons. It was of the vast universe that he was encompassing, it was the creator, I knew it, it was almost uh, a deep, deep, velvety purple, but I knew he was the creator. Um, he uh, infused me with so much, so many um, Catholic beliefs, uh, I was never catechized properly, and um, I was out for like, I was just, out for like uh, probably three minutes and she uh, pounded in my head that he he left his father and and put himself into a human body and he did it for us and um, it was just the most extraordinary thing in the world and I I went blank. Now, mind you, I was infused with many other things, but I couldn't articulate it because, you know, I was just this, 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 I was like roadkill and he picked me up, you know, and he, he just threw all these things into my brain and he infused me with so many things. So I, I just shot up out of that, that vision and that vision in my head and I ran to church and ran to confession. And from then on, my life has been the Eucharist confession, church, um, trying to do everything that uh, a, a Catholic does, but better. So I decided to live myself, live live like a consecrated celibate. I just gave my life to him. I'm married to him. I've never been happier in my life, Lord. I mean, I'm so happy. And I've done nothing. I can actually say this. I have done, I live in the shelter. And I have done nothing to get what I have today. He gave it to me. He gave it all to me. Oh, my gosh, Roy, someone's at my door. Okay. All right, bye-bye. My neighbor's package. 
Um, so I have been giving so much, <clears throat> and I try to give back every day. Um, for the first five years of after my reversion, um, I was so filled with the Holy Spirit. It just feels like it, I was flying, and um, I knew Jesus was right with me. People thought I was nuts because they'd come to me with a problem. I'm like, oh, just ask Jesus, you know, and they just still think I'm nuts. Anyway, Catholics are nuts. But uh, that's it. And um, I wow. just, every day, you know, I'm a free agent of God, whatever he puts in my past. Um, and sometimes he does it, uh, like, I'll have a thought in the morning, like, who, who am I going to help today? And, like, I'll run into a drug addict or someone ODing, and I'd always carry the Narcan. So I'd go, like, through God, my Holy Spirit, I'd be going one route. And I'd be, have a nudge to go the other route. And um, lo and behold, there's, there's woman on the ground, OD, and I, me and God, would bring them out of it with the Narcan. So I've done that like 20 times already. Right. You know, I live in a good spot for it. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm a happy Catholic, I'm joyful, and my four minutes is up. Okay, well, that's incredibly beautiful. <laughs> it's incredibly beautiful, and, and uh, thank you. And, you know, a, you're right. Uh, Catholics, <laughs> um, I don't want to say Catholics are nuts. I have to be careful about saying that. But um, if this is all true, if this isn't true, then Catholics are nuts. And if this is true, it's not that everyone else is nuts, but everyone else is really misguided. And everyone else is really a sucker. I mean, basically, basically, uh, this is, you know, this is my basic shtick, but but there's no there's no in between either this world is everything in which case catholics are nuts although they tend to be happy nuts because it's a it's kind mm -hmm. of a comforting illusion they're under but they're nuts or we are really created for eternity in which case everybody who lives only for things in this world or primarily for things in this world is essentially a sucker and is Can really missing the boat um, that Jesus is so merciful. Like, I had, like, the, everyone has a veil over their eyes. No one, either they weren't taught, they're in the world. Most people haven't been taught, right? But if he could pick me up and, and scrape me off the road, he can do that with everyone. And I think he just waits for the opportune time to do it to people. Because I've heard of so many people out there that were not religious that all of a sudden had this vision they have their own spiritual experience you know but um well people aren't even aware of god that that is yeah. that's, that's um that's, mission, right? that's exactly right right because remember in fatima and i'll have to probably leave you with this but fatima the blessed virgin mary told the kids to pray and make sacrifices for the conversion of sinners so you know god wants to do this for everybody but somehow the more the more that people, you know, pray for the grace for the conversion of sinners and the more sacrifices they make for the conversion of sinners, somehow that becomes part of the equation and the more he does it. So, um, so yeah, yeah, well, none of us, I mean, I'm not going to give my witness testimony, but none of, I mean, yeah, that is something actually that's, that's so sobering that the ones, those of us who have undeservedly, I guess all of us 
who are on the right path or undeservedly on the right path. In other words, we didn't do anything to deserve it. And so um, we certainly owe it. We owe it to God and we owe it to everybody else to do everything we can to uh, share the wealth. So anyway, and thank you for calling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got it. All right. Okay. God bless you. Thanks. Uh, God bless. Bye, everybody. Bye, Sonia. <laughs> so um, the um, uh, I only well, I have more than a few minutes. Um, I had just finished one one chapter in Abandonment to Divine Providence. And thank you, Katie, for that. That witness testimony and and, you know, the proof. What's it? The proof of the pudding is in the tasting. Um, if if Katie had called in, you know, a month after this experience, and uh, that would be one thing. But if she called in seven years after this happened, and the last seven years she's been on this path, then that actually is evidence of the truth of it, right? I mean, that's evidence that it really was God. <laughs> it really was God. It was not something subjective because... Um, her life is is the is the proof. Anyway, the next chapter in uh, De Cossade actually goes on to talk about how God works with the human soul after after the soul has essentially decided to follow Him, and um, there's a whole new dimension of abandonment to divine will that is kind of required after one has signed on the dotted line, so to speak, and consecrated oneself to God. So I will go into that chapter. The more God seems to withdraw light from the soul, abandoned his direction, the more safely he guides her. In other words, God initially gives the soul light in order to put it on the right path, but at a certain point, God withdraws the light, and at that point, it is really important to know that you're still being safely guided. However, before I launch into this, I think I might have another caller. Uh, are you there, caller? Yes, hello. Hello, what's your name and where are you calling from? I'm, uh, my name is Gabriel, and I'm calling from Canada. Okay. Um, uh, my English is not very strong, but I'm, uh, I, I want to thank you for the work you, you're doing. And uh, I have a small question for you, Roy. Okay. Uh, in one of your videos, you explain how important it is to be consecrated to Virgin Mary if she agrees. And uh, I would like to ask you how uh, do we uh, how do we know when or if she agrees with our consecration to her? Uh, and what to do for her to agree to accept our consecration. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Well, it's a, it's a good question, um, but you know, uh, you can ask me a question. doesn't mean I necessarily know the answer. The uh, video that you're referring to, I was um, actually talking about uh, a talk by Father Ripperger, who's a very wonderful um, priest of the Fraternity of St. Peter, and he brings that up about um, if Mary if Mary accepts our consecration to her, and I don't think we have to worry about that because um, I can imagine 
I, I mean, in other words, I know nothing. I can only tell you what I understand Father Ripperger having meant when he said that. And I think what he meant when he said that is that, boy, you know, how, how often do we promise something? Oh, I have a sad story. This is a true story, though. Um, uh, that actually happened to my mother. I mean, my mother once made a promise to God when she was a very young woman probably about 20, uh, she was actually caught by the Gestapo and she was she was being held in a wooden box, actually, for a couple of days to be put yeah. on a train to a concentration camp. And she made a promise to God that if she could ever see the sky again, she would never complain about anything else. Well, she couldn't keep that promise, needless to say. She did miraculously escape, but she couldn't keep that promise and she felt bad for the rest of her life about it. We may, we make, we may, in a surge of um, of uh, enthusiasm, consecrate ourselves to the Blessed Virgin Mary, but we may actually, it may not be coming from the depths of our soul. We may not be actually doing it, if you know what I mean. We may be saying we're doing it, but we may not really be giving her the keys to our car, so to speak, handing over the keys to our soul. And my guess is that she knows the difference. She knows because she's outside of time, because, you know, she's in this communion with God. So she knows how real the consecration is. And it might not be <laughs> real enough for her to take it seriously, so to speak. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing it, because, because what Father Ripperger was saying was that if she does accept the consecration 100%, then she will be completely in charge. If she knows we're not willing to give her, give ourselves to her 100%, but we're only giving ourselves to her 60%, she'll still make use of it. It'll still be a special relationship and it will still be of benefit to us. But, but it doesn't come with the guarantee that Father Ripperger was referring to. In other words, I don't think I, I don't I think all we do is do the best we can and we don't have to know whether whether this was the final consecration to her or somewhere further down the road when we're more mature spiritually or whatever, we'll be able to consecrate ourselves to her more fully. It's no reason not to do it, if you see what I mean. Okay. Um, and, okay. and I'll tell you the the. Um, I, I don't know you from Adam, so forgive me, but um, I'm a big fan of St. Ignatius and his, his uh, um, discernment of spirits. And he says that basically when, when you know, Satan goes after somebody, the, basically, come on, the enemy's always after everybody, right? The first thing he does yes. is he decides which of two categories you fall into. If you are like a, a worldly person and are very fond of pleasures and so forth and don't give a you know don't give much of a thought to god he will try to tempt you by telling you oh you know the sin isn't really that bad you know god doesn't really care if you do that you have nothing to worry about you know you're good enough you don't have to be any better and all of that kind of stuff he'll tempt you to sin but if you want to please god he'll tempt you in the opposite direction and he'll tell you, oh, you know, you're not, you're not good enough to ever really be pleasing to God. Oh, that consecration wasn't good enough. Oh, don't think that, you know, that, that um, you know, Mary really wants you or whatever. 
um, and it'll start, you know, try to make you feel guilty about everything and inadequate about everything that you are trying to do that's right, if you see what I mean. So he's, you know, he's mm-hmm. going to either, the first thing he's going to do is decide whether to tempt you towards sin or to tempt you towards scruples is the technical term. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, thinking you have to be better than you possibly can be. So be careful of both, okay? okay? Be careful of both. And just, you know, <laughs> you know, there used to be an exercise uh in in these therapy groups where you would um the whole group would like line up behind you and you would be standing on a table and you would have to fall backwards and trust them to catch you you know it was like a exercise in trust anyway that's what we mm-hmm. have to do with god right you know just fall mm-hmm. back you know it's like saint joan of arc said um when she was brought up to trial and um the, uh, the judges are trying to trap her, right? So they asked her, are, you know, are you, are you in a state of grace? Because if she said no, they could blame her for being in a state of sin. And if she said yes, they could blame her for presumption because no one can know for sure if they're in a state of grace. So they said that to trap her. And her response was, I don't know, but God, if I am in a state of grace, please preserve me in it. And if I'm not in a state of grace, please put me in one. You know, so that's that's my advice is just don't worry about this stuff. Just trust yourself to God. Okay. So thank you very much, Roy. Uh, continue your good work. And uh, you have many listeners here in Canada. And uh, be safe and God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. And thank you for your Bye-bye. calling um, and uh, or for your call, also for your calling. So I only have a few minutes, but I'm going to continue with the next paragraph because it's a good way to spend the next few minutes. It is a particularly insults. Remember, we're talking about, now we're talking about souls who are consecrated to God, who are abandoned to God, and the need for them to maintain their confidence in divine providence in the face of dryness, basically dryness and desolation in prayer. It is particularly in souls wholly abandoned to God that the words of St. John are accomplished, quote, You have no need that any man teach you, but as his unction teaches you of all things. To know what God, that's the Holy Spirit, to know what God asks of them, they have but to consult this unction, to sound the heart, to heed its voice. It interprets the will of God according to their present needs. For the divine action disguised reveals its designs, not by thoughts, but by intuition. It manifests them to the soul either by necessity, leaving it but one present course to choose, or by a first impulse, a sort of supernatural transport, which impels to action without reflection, or finally, by a certain attraction or repulsion, which, while leaving the soul perfect liberty, no less attracts it to or withdraws it from objects. Um, now, this is uh, quite hard to follow, um, but I will, I think, not do it in injustice by summarizing it in the words of a very, very wonderful and holy spiritual director that I had, a, a priest who died quite a painful martyrdom, actually. And um, I used to go to him for spiritual direction, and I used to always be tied in a knot about, does God want me to do this, or does God want me to do that, and so forth. And he always said, 
Don't worry so much about figuring out what God wants you to do. Just do the best you can at, you know, deciding, you know, make the best guess you can about what God wants you to do. And then whatever that guess is, say, God, I'm doing this for you because this is my best guess of what you want me to do. In other words, in other words, just um, in the end, it's not that we will be sure we are doing what God wants us to do, but we'll just take our best guess and make sure that God knows we're doing it out of the will to do what he wants us to do, and he'll take care of the rest. Continuing with this um, paragraph, were we to judge by appearances, it would seem most unwise to thus pursue a course so uncertain, a course of conduct in which, according to ordinary rules, we find nothing stable, uniform, or regular. It is nevertheless at bottom the highest state of virtue, and one which usually is only attained after long exercise. The virtue of this state is virtue in all its purity. In fact, it is perfection. Anyway, I don't want to go too far down this road because um, I think it's, I, I think he's aiming very high, as he says. But um, so I will simply stop where I, I kind of did stop, which is the bottom line. It's a very simple bottom line. The bottom line is whatever we do, make our best guess, our best stab at choosing that which we, in our best judgment, with a little that we know, stumbling in the dark, thinks is what's of most value to God, most pleasing to God, and then let him know we're doing it for him. And as that caller alluded to, one way of doing this is to make a consecration, make a total consecration, make a total consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary, put everything in her hands, and then give her permission to beat us over the head with a two-by-four to put us on the right path and to always make the right decision. And if we ever make a wrong decision, it will be a wrong decision, which in the long run was the best thing because all things work together for the good for those who love God. So let's just focus on loving God and trying our hardest, and um, he'll have to... He'll have to work out the rest. But that's the job he's in. That's the job he wants to do. All he needs is our permission, so all we really have to do is give him our permission. So with that, I've come to the end of our hour. And um, I want to thank you very much for listening. And I want to thank the callers for calling. And I want to invite you to join us again next week, same time, same place, on Radio Maria for Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with your host, Roy Shoman. And it's time to say bye for now.